Adam Klein joins me for this edition of the show. We talk about how hard work and dedication took him from struggling to make a junior college baseball team to a successful seven-year career in the minor leagues. Then Adam gives us the rundown on his Pickleball Flex League platform, Pickleball Players Network. I'm Josh Walker, and this is SoCal Pickleball Stories. with Adam Klein. How are you? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We can get right into it here. Where, where'd you grow up? So I grew up in West LA, just on the other side of the hill. Yeah. Made my way out to the valley, starting really in about 2002 when I uh, started attending LA Pierce College. Pierce College. Where'd you go to high school? Though? I went to high school at a small private school in Santa Monica called Crossroads, the pride of Baron Davis. Oh yeah, Baron Davis, and uh, is it Austin Crocher? Crocher? Mm, I don't know who that is basketball player. Oh, okay. And so, growing up, were you involved in a lot of sports? I was. I was. I played just about every sport growing up. Starting at a relatively young age, I knew that my heart was in baseball. Baseball was the sport I loved. I was extremely passionate about it. You know, I even vividly recall maybe around sixth or seventh grade or even even younger than that, I had approached my parents and said, I just wanted to play baseball. I didn't want to play any other sport. And my parents really encouraged me to not do that. They wanted me to to continue to learn all these other different sports because there were a lot of lessons to be learned. And so they said, you know, give it a few more years and and if you, your heart's still in baseball, you can absolutely continue to pursue that, you know, just as it's, as its own. Okay. So you knew at that age. I knew that I loved it. I wasn't extremely good at it, but I just knew I loved it. Gotcha. And so when did you start to, to notice your skill and start to notice that, hey, maybe this does have some sort of a future? You know, I actually have a very or a rather unique story around baseball. I didn't make the varsity team until I was a junior in high school at a small high school in Los Angeles, which kind of goes to show and paints a pretty good picture of my skill level. <laughs> I graduated high school at five foot six, 130 pounds. It took me a, quite a while to get that growth spurt and I'm still not that big. Yeah, I had an interesting little career path around baseball. And um, basically, I, I was not recruited to go anywhere out of high school to play baseball. And I attended Cal State Fullerton. Um, I was rather ambitious. I've always been extremely ambitious. And I've always set the bar very high. And so I, I went to Cal State Fullerton. I walked into the coach's office. I'll never forget this moment. And I walked up to the coach and said, Coach, um, I'd like to try out for your team. And he he actually laughed in my face and he said, "Wow." he said, we have, we have 30 scholarships and we have no walk-ons. So you can go try the local junior college out here at Fullerton. And um, so I went there, I tried out and I didn't even make the team. Wow. And so was that before or after Pierce? So that was before Pierce. Okay. So that was right after high school. Right after high and school. Cal State Fullerton, from what I understand, they're a powerhouse baseball school. Powerhouse, top 10 in the nation at that time particularly they were incredibly strong. Yeah. I mean, a lot of talent, a lot of talent. Absolutely. Yeah. And so once again, it kind of goes to show that was the, the ambitiousness that I had was that I could just walk on to a top 10 team in the nation, right. <laughs> you know, at five foot six, 130 pounds. Then at that point took the year to really focus on getting stronger. I had a friend who was taking 
pitching lessons from a pitching coach at Pierce College. And so I started driving back every single week to take pitching lessons from this coach. And um, he said, you know, hey, you should try out for for Pierce next year. And so I, I tried out, didn't even make the team knowing the pitching coach, but they allowed me to redshirt. Okay. And being a redshirt, for those that don't know, it, it entails being able to practice with the team, but not being able to suit up for games. So I took that opportunity to go to every single game, to travel with the team, to be the first one to show up every single day and to be the last one to leave. I worked really, really hard that year. The following year, I finally made the team, but um, I was really considered a second string pinch runner. So I had speed, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't good enough to really play much. I had five at-bats in total the entire year. Just continued to work extremely hard. You know, I was known for my work ethic. Yeah, and so that work entailed batting practice, infield, outfield practice, what kind of stuff? Every day I was in the batting cage every single day. I took every opportunity that I had, even though I didn't play in games, I had every opportunity to um, to practice. I was probably on the baseball field. You know, if we practiced for three to three and a half hours, I was there for six hours. And the coaches at Pierce, were they the ones working on your mechanics? Absolutely. I mean, I would even just watch them when they were giving lessons to people after practice to kids that were coming. I would just try to soak up as much information as I could. I had a long way to go. And I knew that, you know, I was honest with myself. That was a big part of my career was was being honest with myself about where I stood and where I needed to improve. Finally, that third year at Pierce, my fourth year removed from high school, I earned a starting role at Pierce and um, I had some success, which allowed me to get a full scholarship to move on to a a university. And what university was that? Because of my clock starting my first year at Cal State Fullerton, I either had one year of eligibility left at a division one school, or I had two years of eligibility at a division two, II, division three, or an NAIA school. So I chose to go to Cal State LA here in Los Angeles um, for a multitude of reasons, was fortunate and blessed to get a full scholarship. And that was a program that was building. They had a new coach come in. They've always had guys get drafted out of Cal State LA because of the proximity to a lot of big major powerhouse baseball schools in the area like USC, UCLA. I went there for two years, um, thought I was going to get drafted my first year. Um, I had received a lot of interest from scouts. And then finally, my second year after my second year at Cal State LA, my sixth year out of high school, I think it was June 6th, 2007, I received a phone call saying, congratulations, Adam, you've been drafted by the Oakland A's. Incredible. So those two years at Cal State LA, what kind of numbers are you putting up? What position are you playing? How does the season go in which you think you're going to be drafted? At a lot of these universities, they have scout days. You know, they give you great exposure to the scouts. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to be seen by scouts. I went to Cal State Fullerton thinking I was going to pitch. I had kind of a strange experience in high school. I was a junior in high school. At my size, I was throwing 87 to 89 miles an hour. And in the middle of a game, I snapped my elbow. And so my entire senior year, I opted to play with basically a fractured elbow, but just play the outfield and take it easy on my arm. And so after going to Pierce for two years, I realized that pitching, I think, was not in the cards anymore for me. So I was just going to strictly play the outfield. So I played outfield at Cal State LA and I played outfield at Pierce. Speed was definitely one of my key assets. Speed, patience, um, selectivity at the plate, getting on base, 
producing runs, things like that. You know, I, I didn't put up crazy power numbers. I was never a power hitter. I was more of a, you know, a base hit, doubles kind of guy, triple kind of guy in stealing bases. High on base percentage. Very high. Feeding into that money ball analytics style we've all heard about. Yes. So oddly enough, I led the nation in walks and I broke the single season record at Cal State LA for walks in a season. Um, I had 69 walks in a season. I think the record, the previous record was like 53 or 54. You know, it's kind of a an odd accomplishment, but you know, I'm very proud of it. It, it goes to show, I think, and it's it translates a lot, I think, into pickleball, especially and particularly with doubles, is the ability to be patient. Sure. Being selective, knowing when to take that opportunity tune moment to be aggressive, but also not being afraid to to be selective and to be patient. Oddly enough, or you did get drafted by the Oakland A's, featured in Moneyball, the analytics team. Yes. And so you just get a phone call. You're not paying attention to the draft. How does that work leading up to that day? <laughs> it's it's a funny story. I, I was glued at the time, you know, I was glued to the computer watching the draft and I got a call from a scout saying, Adam, you know, I, I saw you got drafted by, I don't even recall the team name. And I said, well, that's funny because I've never talked to that scout before. I've never talked to that team. And so I go online and it was a different Adam Klein. Oh no. So my heart like dropped and I was, my heart was broken. You know, I'm thinking to myself, but here's, here's the, the caveat to that is the team that called me was the A's. Oh, okay. They called me to congratulate me. So they had taken me off their draft board, but I corrected them and I said, no, 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 that's not the right Adam Klein. And so they put me back on. And then at that point I left, I went and I actually went to the gym and I worked out. I said, I can't sit here, focus on the TV, you know, the, the computer screen. So, and then later I got a phone call saying, you know, you had been drafted. And so, by the A's. By the For A's. real. This For time. real. <laughs> okay. Wow. Once you find out you're drafted, what's the next step? Are you on a bus to rookie ball, a plane? But, you know, where was that organization's first stop for you? Yeah. So they gave me the kind of quick rundown on that I would be going to Arizona, Phoenix in particular, right on the kind of outskirt of Phoenix, the border between Phoenix and Scottsdale, and that I would take a flight out there and go to their spring training complex. Then I would start rookie ball, you know, in about two to three weeks. Um, I kind of got my bearings straight and then headed out there unknowingly what to expect. And so it was really exciting, a very exciting and kind of an exhilarating time in my life because this is something I've been working so hard for. You know, here I am getting an opportunity to play at to me, the highest level or one of the highest levels that I could have ever imagined. So when you show up to spring training, are the big leaguers there too? Is it everybody? Yeah. So first was rookie ball and rookie ball was in the summer. So the, the big leaguers had already been playing. Okay. Yeah. Cause the draft was like in April. It was in June at the time. And you know, some of the, the major leaguers and almost all of the minor leaguers had already been halfway through their season. Right. There's really two seasons that happen in June and that is rookie ball and short season A ball. Okay. So it's kind of a shorter season. And the short season A ball is for typically the kind of like more experienced college players. But I was put in rookie ball with a lot of the high school and Latin American, you know, younger Latin American players. And on our team, we even had six outfielders and only three can play it at any one given time. So it was an uphill battle from the start. Yeah. Rookie ball is like all the franchises sort of like rookie 
teams play in a league? Correct. So any team that has a spring training complex in Arizona, there's two there's two locations. It's Arizona and Florida. And the teams that were stationed in Arizona had a rookie ball team. Right. Okay. And you play all your games at that main complex? Exactly. We would travel no more than really 30 minutes to go to different complexes. There's a few parts of my career I'll never forget. And the, and the first was the first two games of rookie ball for me was knowing that I was playing with six other outfielders. My first real two, two games of professional baseball, I knew I needed to do something to stand out. My first game, if I'm not mistaken, my first game, I was one for one with four walks. Wow. And then my second game, I was two for two with three walks. So I hadn't gotten out in two games. And I knew immediately that I drew some attention from the higher ups. And that gave me an opportunity to really get more playing time than really any other outfielder um, that season. And so overall that season, was that successful for you? It was an incredibly successful season. I think I ended up leading the entire minor leagues in on-base percentage. My on-base percentage, I think for the season was 450 something. Nice. I led the rookie league that I played in. I led it in walks and stolen bases and on-base percentage. But oddly enough, I go back to spring spring training the following season and I don't even make it out of spring training. They keep me back for extended spring training and it kind of goes to show that professional baseball, just like any other professional sport, is a business. The players are considered investments. I was a sixth year sign in the 48th round. You know, I had signed for, if I'm not mistaken, it was like maybe $1,000 or $5,000 or something like that. There wasn't a lot of money behind me. And despite the success, they kept me back because I think they knew there was a player in double A that had gotten injured. So they sent me straight to double A for a month. Um, So I played in double A for a month, but then they sent me back to extended spring training in Arizona. And then I think a week or two later, I got sent to single A um, and I played that the remainder of that season in single A. And what city was that in? So that was in Kane County, Illinois, and double A was in Midland, Texas. You know, there's all this glamour behind professional baseball, but I don't think people quite realize the rigors of minor league baseball. And just to kind of paint a really quick picture, I was sent on a plane to Springfield, Missouri to meet the team. You know, they put you in a hotel and then we got on a bus to go back to Midland. It was a 12 hour bus ride to Midland. You have to sleep on the floor of the bus or you have to sleep on, you know, the chair. Wow. It was my first 12 hour bus ride. I don't think I'd been on a bus for more than four or five hours. I get back to Midland and they say, we'll put you in a hotel for a week, but then you have to find a place to live. This is really before modern technology. So I ended up staying with the pastor for three weeks because I didn't know how long I was going to be there. I had no idea. Right. And so you were on the single A team. You guys would travel to different cities to play, but your home games were there. Correct. We've all heard minor league baseball. There's not a whole lot of money. They're paying you some sort of a weekly salary or monthly salary. We were getting paid. So in minor league baseball at the time, every single player at a particular level gets paid the exact same. Okay. Regardless of whether you're a first round pick or a second round pick. Now, some of those players may have negotiated like larger signing bonuses or, you know, that they would be put on the 40 man roster, which entices, you know, a higher salary. But I think at the time, you know, we were getting paid $1,200 a month. You know, it was, it was peanuts to be quite honest. And the fact that they really expected you to find housing, you know, they provided you with barely one meal at the ballpark. So what would the guys do? Like, were they all living together? How, how did yeah, that work? Yeah, we'd put like six to eight of us in, a, in an apartment. We'd be sleeping on air mattresses. There was some towns 
um, I was very fortunate. Most of the places I played had host families. So you would live with these host families and there would be, you know, four or five of us at a host family, um, you know, two people sleeping in the same room. I mean, potentially even more. And some of these host families were, were really sweet, really grateful that they opened their homes to us, you know, complete strangers. My last few years of playing, I played um, with an independent ball team out of Gary, Indiana. And I, I had the most incredible host family. I stayed with him for the last four years, I think. And, uh, you know, he kind of became family. Yeah. So the day-to-day life in, in minor league baseball are all the guys trying to improve with the coaching staff there and everyone's just trying to, to make it to the big show or make it to the next level? Yeah, it, it's kind of, there's there's two parts to it. One, there's this component of you're trying to get better. You're trying to showcase your skills. You're trying to, you're trying to have success with your performance. And then the other side of it is just trying to survive. You're playing 100 to 125 games games in a very short period of time we got one day off a month and usually that day off that you had during the month was a day you'd be traveling so you'd be on a bus you know most of our bus rides were on average six to eight hours you know so you'd play you'd play a game at seven o'clock at night you'd get on the bus at 11 11 30 at night maybe 12 and then you'd travel all night and you'd be expected to sleep on the bus. And then the next day you get to the hotel and, and you got to show up at the field around 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. So you're traveling city to city for games? City to city. I mean, in the last the last four seasons out of Gary, Indiana, we had games in Winnipeg in Alberta, Canada. We had games in Texas. One of my experiences traveling, I think we even had a 33-hour bus ride because the tire blew out three different times wow. in the middle of El Paso, Texas. I mean, it was absolutely miserable. Yeah. Jeez. But nothing, nothing else you'd rather be doing. Right. The like, sure. kind of paradox. I mean, everyone's sort of in that together. Everyone's grinding. Is there a lot of camaraderie at that level or is there a lot of trying to best each other and, you know, maybe make people look bad? What's that dynamic? I think at the lower levels, there's a lot of competitiveness. You know, there's a lot of immaturity because you're dealing with people who are a little younger. But the higher the level you got to, there's a lot more camaraderie. There's a little bit more maturity and people see the value in winning. We know we're going to be together. We're a family. We're in a clubhouse together. We're on a bus together. We're showering together. We're eating together. We're playing together. We do everything, just about everything together. Just like in pickleball, there's nothing better than really grinding it out and getting the win. And so I think as we got older, we realized the value in that. And so there was a lot more camaraderie, especially in the last few years of my career. And so how far up the minor league chain did you end up getting? So the furthest I got to was double A. And in spring training, I played a lot with the triple A team. Never made it to the big leagues. You know, I think deep down, I felt like, you know, I could have played at that level. I don't know how much success I could have had at that level, but I definitely, you know, played with a lot of guys who played at that level and felt confident that I could have played there. Not quite sure how much success. Did you get to play with any names who would have heard of or meet any, uh, you know, exciting people along the way? You know, I faced a lot of guys like including Madison Bumgarner. Okay. Um, struck me out on three pitches, by the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I played with a lot of guys who played in the big leagues, you know, Andrew Bailey. Um, he was a closer for the Yankees trying to think of some other really big names. I'd have to think about that a little bit more, but definitely played with a lot of major league guys. Yeah. That's awesome. And so 
as that experience and time was winding down, was there a moment that you knew that, you know, this is sort of it for me or was it a gradual thing and what led you to, to that sort of realization? Yeah. So my seventh season, my right hip was giving me a lot of pain and it was giving me a lot of issues. And I was turning 30 that season. You know, I was uh, just about embarking upon a very serious relationship with a woman who is today my wife and and the mother of my child. And I could really see the writing on the wall being at that age, especially because I got really such a late start. It took me six years out of high school to get drafted. So maybe things would have been different if I were slightly younger. You know, I wasn't a power hitter. I was a little bit more of a scrappy player. Scouts weren't really looking for something like that, especially at that time especially for a corner outfielder, which is the position that I had been playing at the time. So my hope was to kind of go out with a bang and to hopefully um, have some success as a team, which we eventually did. In my last season playing, we won the team, the league championship and we won a ring and, you know, we got to dogpile, you know, on the final out of the season. And it was the only time really in my entire career that we ever, I've ever really won something as a team. Wow. That's cool. Um, I was really blessed. I had a great season, ended up being um, fortunate to win the MVP of the uh, championship series. Oh, nice. And knew immediately that I needed to get my hip checked out. And so shortly after the season, I had my hip checked and um, over here by the doctors and Curlin Job, and they told me I needed surgery, you know, immediately. So um, I had my right hip operated on. And at that point in time, I was kind of ready to, you know, to, to retire from baseball. Yeah. That, is that Dr. Frank Job? Dr. Frank Job, I think, is one of the doctors there. I'm not sure if he's still practicing, but there was a doctor there that specialized in hips. The practice Job, that's Job of the Tommy John surgery. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so that practice performed your surgery. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's exciting. I mean, it's not every day you talk to somebody that has played professional level, sort of knows what it takes, and then has a positive memory of that. And it seems like that you do. Absolutely. I think a lot of guys are forced into retirement. I'm very blessed to say that I I chose to retire. Um, it was a personal choice, partially, you know, emotionally, but also physically, you know. You know, I still have dreams about playing all the time. Um, absolutely awful in my dreams. You know, I think maybe subconsciously I'm still working things out, but, you know, I was just talking to some family here the other day about baseball. You know, I know this is a really a pickleball podcast. Hitting a baseball might single-handedly be one of the toughest things to do in all of sports. Yeah. You know, the kind of the physics behind hitting a baseball is practically impossible. Um, And to then square up a baseball that's traveling at a certain velocity with a certain amount of spin in a certain period of time, you know, with a cylindrical bat that weighs 32 to 34 ounces, you know, it's pretty much impossible and it's really tough to do. You know, I'm just really blessed that I, I was kind of given and afforded that opportunity to do it. That's awesome. I think baseball is a beautiful game. I've always been a fan. I played when I was younger. As a lot of young boys, I wanted to be a professional baseball player when I was playing <laughs> Little League. You know, there's just nothing better. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So once your baseball career winds down, do you move back to LA? I do. So half the se- half the year I was here in Los Angeles, half the year I was playing baseball and traveling. So I come back.
back to Los Angeles. Let me back up actually. So I had been coaching in the off seasons. Um, it was an easy way to stay on the baseball field mentally and physically. So I could practice before their practices. I could practice after their practices. I had access to facilities, equipment. I also loved coaching. I love the element of giving back and helping. Something that is always and even today is very kind of near and dear to me. Towards the end of my playing career, I became extremely passionate about finance and investing. And so I knew that was another kind of incentive and motive to transition away from baseball was I knew that was kind of going to be my next career path. Once I stopped playing, I had lined up an internship at a hedge fund here in Los Angeles. I started that um, shortly thereafter once I had retired. And you still work in finance right now? I do. I do. So back in 2015, I started my own firm. And what do you guys do? So we are an investment advisory firm and we predominantly manage individuals' portfolios and we deal primarily with equities and stocks. But we also do other types of investments as well. And so when did you discover pickleball and where was that? A little over a year ago, I had been playing tennis, just like most others. A buddy of mine who I'd been playing tennis with told me that he had heard about this sport called pickleball and, and that we needed to try it. And he had played it once and was really trying to encourage me to play it. And I think there was a certain level of reluctancy and hesitancy. Yeah. And I don't really know why that is. I think it was just because maybe, oh, I got to try something new. I'm, um, and I was far from perfecting the sport of tennis at that point. Tennis is tough. Very very tough. You know, it was a great, great way for me to get out, get outside to exercise. You know, there are some similarities to baseball. You know, there was some transference there. And so I gave pickleball a shot. That was a little over a year ago. And I have played tennis one time since then. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty familiar story, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And where did you start playing? I joined Braemar Country Club here in Tarzana, California with my wife. And we joined for the tennis, the golf, you know, access to the pool and the facilities there, given that we have today a two and a half year old. They were just starting to incorporate pickleball into tennis into into racket sports and they hadn't had any permanent courts at the time they had painted some lines on one tennis court you know they had some programming on the weekends for people to come out and kind of some social play and so I went out there and and played and just had an absolute blast you know just like most others I had no idea I had no idea what the rules were I'm running into the kitchen I'm smashing balls but I had such a great time and I knew that it was a sport that I wanted to play more. And so did you advocate for more pickleball at Braemar? I did. There's kind of this like blessing and curse within me that when I do something, I'm always looking for ways to improve it. I sometimes can't help myself, you know? So I started to wonder why we didn't have any permanent courts at Braemar where there is, if I'm not mistaken, 20 tennis courts. I started amassing the community to rally for permanent courts and we started a petition and um, we got a bunch of people to sign the petition and then sure enough they I think we kind of forced their hand into getting four permanent pickleball courts great and then from there the PPA and Selkirk Labs um, reached out to Invited Clubs Invited Clubs is the parent owner of a lot of country clubs including Braemar and reached out to them about doing an event um, last summer yeah I remember that that really put Braemar on the map not only put Braemar on the map but it also created this enthusiasm around
around the sport of pickleball at Braemar because a lot of members went to that event and saw how exciting and exhilarating that sport is. That allowed the sport to grow even further at the club. Yeah, that was like kind of like an exhibition, right? I, I remember last August, I think a lot of the pros came out, the PPA pros, and they switched up partners. Were you involved in that at all? Not at all. There was there was really very little involvement from the club. It was mostly the PPA and and their people who ran the event. I was very fortunate to play a little bit with Lee and Annalie Waters the day before the event started. Very cool. And to be on the court with a lot of the pros, you know, including Ben and Colin Johns. As they were gearing up for the event. Exactly. It was a lot of fun being out there watching them and they watching us too. You know, it was really cool. It was a, it was a great opportunity to also learn a lot about the sport from their perspective. You know, I think about baseball and I think from the sport of pickleball or any other sport for that matter, there's a level of knowledge and understanding from a professional's perspective, not just about the game, but about the courts even. Yeah. And about the equipment. You know, there's certain things that you wouldn't think about, like at Braemar, the surface of the court um, being vastly different for pickleball than tennis. You know, the pros stepped on our courts at Braemar at the time and said they would never play an event on these courts because they were way too slick. There's a certain level of sand or graininess that needs to go into a court surface. And that's something that, you know, just being a rec player, you would never know. Sure. And so did that event kickstart pickleball at Braemar, you think? It absolutely did. I think it brought a lot of notoriety to the club and the facilities. I think it got a lot of people at the club excited about pickleball who had just been playing tennis. And I think it also allowed us to incorporate and add four more pickleball, permanent pickleball ports. So we now have eight at Braemar. You know, it's kind of led to a lot more programming at the club. And I think in the near to distant future, we're going to start seeing some events happen at Braemar, including, you know, tournaments and round robins and things like that, which will be great. Yeah, awesome. So what does your rec play sort of pickleball regimen look like these days? So pickleball is for me today, a lot of fun. I don't get much of an opportunity or I choose not to play in in tournaments on the weekends um, just because I'm really enjoying the time that I have with my family, especially with my son at this age. I try to play once to twice a week and the club has been really great with allowing me to bring in guests, you know, as long as we're adhering to certain kind of guest policies, but bringing in guests and playing once to twice a week. It's still a lot of fun for me. You know, I can be very competitive. The great thing about the sport is it can be competitive, but can also be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think pickleball can be as demanding as you want it to be. You can try and get into the highest level games your body and your skill will allow, or you can kind of take it easy, play with, you know, friends, family who are casual players. Either way is going to be fun and at least some level of satisfaction in the end, I think. Absolutely. At the very, very least, it's great exercise. You know, we get to be outside. We hear, we're here in Southern California where we have beautiful weather, minus what we've just encountered with all the rain. but. Yeah. It's been a little rough, (laughs) (laughs) but much needed. You know, we're afforded the opportunity in the winter months to be able to go outside and to play pickleball, even into the wee hours of the night. You know, we've been playing on Wednesday nights, you know, till 930 in the evenings, even during the winter months. There's not many places in the country that you can do something like that. Yeah, it's great. We're real lucky. Can you talk about PPN? What is it? PPN stands for Pickleball Players Network. And going back to kind of the notion of, 
always looking for ways to improve the quality of whatever it is that I'm doing. Almost instantly when I started playing pickleball, I started thinking about, you know, ways that I could bring value to the sport and to the community within the sport. You know, I had recognized that most communities or most people were playing the sport within two ways one of which was through tournaments. Your more competitive players were playing in tournaments. They were you know, paying rather egregious fees to travel and participate in tournaments where there were only you know, a certain limited guarantee of how many matches you'd be playing over a long period of time. And then the second kind of vehicle, so to speak, for players to play were through communities coming together and forming clubs or groups. You know, open play at these local parks were great, but it was tough for players to ensure they were getting matches or playing regularly with people of a similar skill set. So I started to think about ways that I could kind of solve that problem. PPN is an online platform that brings together competitive and recreational players through flex leagues. And so these flex leagues, what they do is, is they allow for players to sign up based on you know, the type of play that they wish to to play, whether it's doubles, mixed doubles, singles, and they sign up based on their age and based on their rating or their skill set. And then they're grouped together within that particular region um, with others who wish to play within that category. At that point, the, the software hosts, you know, a six week long season with a single elimination playoffs with prizes at the end for these players. And so they get the opportunity to schedule these matches whenever and wherever they want within that particular region. You know, it's still very early stages for us. We are on the brink of expanding all over the country. We've identified, you know, over 70 regions that we plan to offer these leagues. You know, the initial interest has been rather large and substantial, and we're really excited to provide this to the community in hopes that, you know, it brings a lot of value to them and brings them a lot of joy. I think that's a great idea. It's hard to get on the same schedule with everybody that is at your same level, you know, has the same interest in what type of competition they want. So having a flex league where you're grouped, you know, with those same same level type players, same interests, and you just schedule your matches whenever you have free time, and you just have to get it done within a certain amount of time or something. Exactly. So players will be grouped with other players within their particular region at a similar skill set. And then they'll have six weeks to schedule their matches, as many or as little matches as they choose. Now, they'll have to complete a certain number of matches to qualify for the playoffs, but the software allows for everything to be hosted right there on the application. So they'll- You enter your scores within the app. Correct. You enter your scores within the app. You receive real-time updates, score alerts from everyone in your league and your division. Um, You see real-time standings. You're even provided a suggested schedule. You can see other people's availability with in your division. So, you know, if you can only play on the weekends and I can only play on the weekdays, there's this level of understanding that we're probably not going to play against each other. Players can play each team up to a certain number of times. They can do rematches. We're even in some regions partnering with facilities like here in the San Fernando Valley right now. We've partnered with the Warner Center, who's just in the process of building um, new permanent courts. You know, we're offering certain windows or blocks of times, two days of the week for people 
people to go there and to play their league matches for free. They don't need to pay any fees where normally you would go and you'd have to pay a fee to play or reserve a court. So Okay, that's excellent. Absolutely. So we're giving players the opportunity to have structure if they want it on a specific day and time or to schedule a match wherever it's convenient for both, you know, for both teams. I could see the app having a lot of potential for, you know, entering as a team, entering as mix or entering as an individual, perhaps like an MLP style format uh, in the future. Yeah, that's cool. A lot of a lot of upside. And it's great that you're giving them an option of a location as well. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I've learned here in the last several months is, and I know this can be extremely relevant to the podcast, is how unique every specific city and region is across the country when it comes to pickleball. Just getting off the phone yesterday with the president of a club in Salem, Oregon, you know, that has, you know, over 700 actively playing members in a much smaller town than, you know, a big metropolitan city like Los Angeles. And some of these clubs even have access to facilities and to courts, like city courts. You know, they have access to these courts to be able to reserve these courts. Every region is so unique and it's really cool to be able to learn how unique every single city and region is just around the same exact sport all across this country. And it's really cool to see that we struggle here in Los Angeles with a supply and demand issue. The demand for pickleball is through the roof, but we can't get enough courts up fast enough. I think if you look on the west side of Los Angeles, there isn't one public permanent court on the west side of Los Angeles. There's lined courts, but not permanent courts. And there is reservation only, um, especially, you know, if you go to Beverly Hills or you go to West Hollywood um, or you have. But even those aren't permanent. Exactly. In Santa Monica, the same thing, you know. And so if you think about how many people play pickleball, you go to Memorial Park in Santa Monica on a Saturday or a Sunday, there's hundreds and hundreds of people there playing pickleball and you'll probably wait 30 minutes to get on a court. Yeah, if you're lucky. Everybody loves pickle these days, it's awesome. (laughs) So where's PPN available and what does it cost to sign up? At the moment, you go to pickleballplayersnetwork.com and we're just, like I said, in the process of getting leagues up and running all over the country. So we have our inaugural season happening here in the San Fernando Valley. The leagues start March 20th. We have the full capability of starting leagues at any point in time. So if the demand is there, you know, we could start another league, you know, pretty much with the snap of a fingers. And so the intention is to run six week long seasons, like I said, to kind of scale this all over the country. People can go to the website, they can watch our tutorial videos, they can read our FAQs, they can learn as much as they need. We've got a full support team ready to go. So if people have questions, they can contact us. At the moment, it costs $19.99 for a six week long season. Plus we have prizes for winners at the end, which seems like a very affordable way to play pickleball. If it were up to me, I would charge nothing. Problem with not charging anything is that people don't have any skin in the game. And so there's people who take it very seriously and then they are affected by the people that don't take it seriously who just sign up. So we have to charge something. We're not quite sure what that's going to be uh, moving forward, but we want to make it affordable for everyone. We want to give everyone an opportunity to participate in something like this. It's a step up from your typical rec play and maybe just a notch down from your tournament play, but it's still, you know, it provides that nerves that you get 
you know, when you're playing a league match and you know it counts for something and you know that, you know, it's going to affect your standings and it's going to affect your ability to, um, you know, for everyone in the league to see how you did against that particular opponent. Yeah, I think that's a great product. Uh, I mean, you can't beat that price. You know, I wish you the best with that. What kind of demand are you seeing initially? With very, very little marketing, most of this has been purely word of mouth. And it's hard to say now because we really have just focused on the San Fernando Valley. We want to dial in not only the the software and the product, but we want to dial in what it is that the customers and the players want in one particular region before we take this all over the country. You know, I think within the first few weeks of opening registration, we saw, you know, two, three, four hundred people sign up on the website. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of people are really eager um, for something like this, I think it's going to take it's going to take a little bit of time, just like with most everything. But I think if if the intention is to really bring value to the sport, I think people will recognize that. That's kind of just my the business savviness within me understands the importance of having pure intentions of solving a problem and bringing value to something versus focusing purely on the money. I think if you can give the people what they want. I think that, you know, you, you're afforded the opportunity for people to um, do the marketing for you and, and spread the word via word of mouth. Really excited for the next three to six months. You know, we're in the process of talking to some major brands. Uh, you know, we got off the phone yesterday with Selkirk, Gearbox, Fila, Skechers. I mean, people are really excited about becoming a part of this and, you know, to see how this comes to fruition in the next six months is, is really exciting for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, I can, uh, tell you've done you know a lot of research and this is very thought out and like you said the intentions are pure you know the community i think can definitely benefit and and get the value that that you wish to provide thank you so i wish you the nothing but the best for that as we wrap up here i do a little speed round cool we'll wrap up with that okay here we go drop or drive drive tournament or rec haven't played a tournament so i have to say rec <laughs> there you go all right playing during the day or the night night left side or right side i'm left-handed so right side singles or doubles doubles mixed or gendered gender dura or franklin summer dura Winner Franklin. Favorite shot? The the Ernie. Favorite drill? Cross-court dinking. Favorite courts in SoCal? Of course, Braemar Country Club. There you go. All right, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, people can find PPN at pickleballplayersnetwork.com. All right, thanks for listening. <laughs>